Today what I'm going to do is begin to start talking about that with authority comes responsibility. God has given us authority. He's given us a huge authority. Actually, mankind now, those who are born again, have a greater authority given unto them than Adam and Eve had. Adam and Eve had authority over this earth. But when Jesus came, Jesus had authority in heaven, authority on the earth and under the earth, talking about the demonic realm, hell. Sheol is what the Old Testament called it. And he had authority in all three of those realms. And then he turned around and he says, Go ye therefore, Matthew chapter 28, and teach all nations. What he did, he just referred to the authority that he had. And he says, Now I'm giving you this authority. And he gave it to us. And so actually the authority that we have as believers today is superior to the authority that Adam had. We have everything back that Adam lost and much, much more. We now have authority over the demonic realm. You know, this is something that many people miss because they just don't study the Word intently enough to see this. But there are a total of 15 times in the Old Testament where Satan is referred to. Twelve of those times are in the book of Job, actually referring to one instance, this whole scenario around Job. Outside of the book of Job, there's only three mentions of Satan, and two of those are the exact same instance. One is recorded in 2 Kings, and the other one is recorded in 2 Chronicles, where it talks about Satan moving David to number the people. And so if you take the book of Job as one instance and then look at these two instances that are recording the same thing, there's only a total of three mentions of Satan in all of the Old Testament. There are many chapters in the New Testament that mention demons more than three times. There is a huge difference in the way that the New Testament talks about Satan and that gives us revelation about how Satan was the one that caused sicknesses, that caused uh, seizures and convulsions and different types of sicknesses and blindness and all kind of things like this. And uh, there was many things revealed as being demonic in their origin. How come we have this knowledge in the New Testament that we didn't have in the Old Testament? Well, the simple answer to that is that it wouldn't have done the Old Testament people any good to have known about Satan and that he was behind the actions and doing things because they didn't have authority. They didn't have the authority to rebuke the devil and to bind the devil. And so basically all that was commanded in the Old Testament is just submit to these laws. With your actions, do these things. And by yielding their actions to God, that empowered God to move in their life and limited what Satan could do. And basically that was the approach in the Old Testament. But in the New Testament, we now have an authority that has been given to us that we do have authority over demons. We can now go beyond just the surface level and we can go behind the scenes to the demonic powers that are inspiring people to act the way that they do, that are causing many of these sicknesses and diseases. And we can bind the demonic force and we can see results that Old Testament people could never have seen. But along with that authority that we now have regained comes responsibility. That means that when the Lord gave us such power and authority to exercise it, that means that if we don't use it, then we stop God from intervening. God flows through us. For instance, here's a scripture in James chapter 4, verse 7. That scripture says, Submit yourselves therefore unto God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. 
God gave us authority and power over the devil. Let me use another scripture on this over in Luke chapter 9, I believe it is. And in verse 1, it says, Then he called his twelve disciples together and gave them power and authority over all devils and to cure diseases. Power here is talking about that he gave us the ability, the might. We have the power and not only that, but we have the authority to use that power. And with that authority comes responsibility. That means that if we don't resist the devil, he won't flee from us. That's a simple statement. And yet it's amazing how many people aren't taking the authority that's been given unto them. And when Satan bothers them, when they can see that, say, some sickness, disease, poverty, tragedy comes into their life, they believe it's just an attack of the devil. Instead of taking their authority and rebuking the devil and commanding him to leave, instead they go to God as if they don't have any power or any authority, and they beg God, Oh God, please change this situation. Oh God, please get the devil off of my back. And it's not within God's power and authority. He gave us that power and authority. That's exactly what the Scripture says. He gave us authority over the devil. And if you are being fought by a demonic force, you've got to be spiritual enough, first of all, to be able to discern what is really a spiritual origin for something and what is just totally natural. And if it is spiritual in its origin, if it's a demonic attack, then you have the authority over the devil, and with that authority comes absolute responsibility. That makes you responsible to get rid of this demon. Now, it's God's power. I'm not saying that you are the power source, but I'm saying that power has been placed under your authority, and if you don't use it, then it won't be used. I tell you, if you're listening to what I'm saying, this ought to be answering so many questions, because so many people that come to me are just powerless. They don't understand that they have any authority and they're begging God to please remove this sickness and please prosper me financially and please save this person. And they're begging God to do things that He told you, you have the authority to do. When God said, you resist the devil and he will flee from you, that means that if you don't resist the devil, he won't flee. God is not going to take care of the devil for you. He's already defeated the devil He stripped him of his power. He gave us authority. And if we don't exercise it, God's not going to come and rebuke the devil for you. The battle is not between God and the devil directly. The battle is between us and the devil. And God has equipped us with authority and power, and we have to use it. Now, that is an amazing fact. And I tell you, if you could just understand what I've said right there, that would answer a lot of questions. There's a lot of people that say, well, if it's God's will for us to be healed, then how come this person died? God gave us the power to heal. It is not our power. It's His power. But He gave it to us, and it's under our authority. And the Lord never told us to go and pray and ask God to heal people. He told us to go heal the sick. He didn't give us a command to pray for the sick. See the way it's being done in the church today. We basically just say, Oh, Father, we know that you can do it. If it's your will, please, pretty please do it. And we come as beggars and ask. And if we don't see something manifest, if we don't see an instant result, well, then we say, Well, we wonder why God didn't heal them. 
No, God has already released the healing power that it takes for every person on this planet to be healed of every sickness and every disease. All of that was born by Jesus. And He's now given us the power to go heal the sick. I read that verse out of uh, Luke chapter 9, verse 1. He gave us authority and power over all demons to cast them out and to cure diseases. He gave that power to us, and it's up to us to exercise it. In the third chapter of the book of Acts, there's an example of this where Peter and John, it says in verse 1, Acts 3, 1, Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer, being the ninth hour, and a certain man lame from his mother's womb was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms of them that entered into the temple, who seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked an alms. And Peter, fastening his eyes upon him with John, said, Look on us. And he gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something of them. Then Peter said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength, And he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered with them into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. Now notice in this verse 6, it says, Peter said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I unto thee. Did you know that Peter and John would be kicked out of nearly any church in America, most Christian churches around the world today, for saying that I have the power to heal you? Man, it has become fashionable for us to say, oh, it's not me. I couldn't heal a gnat. Well, the truth is, none of us can heal a gnat in our own human power, but we aren't only human. We are born again, and God gave us power and authority. That means the right, the ability to use that power. And Peter was absolutely correct when he said, such as I have, give I unto thee. You notice in this instance, he never even prayed a prayer. Most people would think that that was terribly non-religious. They would think, how dare him heal a man without praying and asking God and saying all of these things. But you know what? I'm after results. And Peter got the right results. And Peter, his approach to this situation was the proper approach. He said, such as I have, give I unto thee. See, he knew he had power and the authority to use that power. And he took his responsibility And he gave it. And because of that, that man was healed. This is the very reason that a lot of people aren't seeing healing today is because they're coming to God not understanding that power doesn't reside in heaven. God has placed the power to heal on the inside of each one of us. And he has given us the authority to use it. And that makes us responsible. If a person isn't healed, it's not God who didn't heal them. It is us that is not using our authority and power. Now, that is absolutely true. There's a little bit more to it than that. There are some dynamics to this. Sometimes it's not the individual's fault receiving the prayer. It could be the fault of other people around them. Jesus had to put people out, scoffers, people who were in unbelief. And Jesus had absolute faith. He was operating in faith perfectly. And yet Mark chapter 6 verse 5 says, Jesus could do no mighty works in his hometown because of their unbelief. It wasn't a limit in him. Sometimes it's not a limit in the person who's receiving the healing. It could be other factors round about. 
There's more to it than this, but basically it is some person or group of people who are limiting God because they aren't taking the authority that God has given us and exercising it. We are shirking our responsibility and we're trying to put all the responsibility off to God and say it's God's fault whether this person gets healed, whether they get saved, whether this person gets prospered. And I tell you, that is absolutely wrong. If you could understand this one little point and just recognize that it's not God's turn to heal. It's our turn to believe that He's healed, to accept that power and to take that authority and use it and speak to our problems and command things to change. See, if we would just get that one point down, I guarantee it would make a huge difference in the way that things happen. I can guarantee you the vast majority of people in the body of Christ today, they believe that God can do whatever He wants to, but they don't believe that He's already done it. They don't believe that He's given us the power to do it. Therefore, they don't take their authority. They don't feel any responsibility. And this is where it's breaking down. God has already done His part. God has placed this power and authority on the inside of it. And because of that, it makes us responsible. It is absolutely your responsibility to get healed, to get prospered, to get delivered. Now, it's God's power. I'm going to be trying to put this into balance and show you. I don't want you to come under a sense of condemnation in the sense that you say, so I've got to make this happen, not out of yourself, not out of your human ability, but the born-again self on the inside of you has the God kind of power on the inside. And all things are possible to him that believes. If you would understand that and go to believing that he has already done his part and take your position of authority, you could make things happen. You know, since I've understood this, I've prayed for people to be healed for many, many years. And every once in a while, in the beginning, I would see some people heal, but I didn't have a clue what I was doing, really. It's just kind of like an old blind squirrel. Every once in a while, we'll get a nut. You know what? I was just praying for so many people. Every once in a while, something would happen. We'd see somebody heal. Something happened. But since I've come to realize that it's not me petitioning God and asking God to heal people, but rather God has already healed us of all sickness and all disease, that it's by His stripes we were healed, what it says in 1 Peter 2.24, since I've seen that and recognize that God has put the power here and it's up to me to release it. Now, there's some other things involved. But I don't have more authority over another person than they do. They've got to cooperate and I, they've got to believe too. But basically, since I've understood that God has done His part and I've taken my authority and I've started commanding healing and speaking and commanding people to be healed instead of praying and asking God to do it, I have seen hundreds of times more people healed than what I used to see. You know, this man, John G. Lake, whom I'm sure many of you have heard about, he lived back in the early 1900s, and he had a healing ministry so much so that the state of Washington licensed him and gave him a medical license, and he actually opened up a hospital because he saw so many documented cases of healing that I think it was uh, it's either Seattle or Spokane, Washington, I forget which it was, wherever he lived, they literally closed one of the hospitals in the town because he was so effective at getting people healed. 
And in his hospital, they didn't administer medicine. They just came around and anointed with oil and prayed with you until they saw your physical healing manifest. And he had people that he had trained, and he called them practitioners is what he called them. And they would go out, and he would give them a little bottle of oil based on the scripture, anoint with oil, and the prayer of faith will save the sick. And he would send them out when they got a call for people to come minister healing to them. And he would tell these practitioners, he says, go out and don't come back until this person's healed. You know, that just startles some people. Like, well, how could you do that? Again, the logic is, see, most people think you don't have control over this. You don't have authority. You don't have responsibility. You just go out and ask, and then que sera, sera, whatever will be, will be. It's all up to God, you see. And that's not true. He told these people, go out and don't come back until they're healed. And you know what? The longest time that any of those people stayed gone was about 30 days. Sometimes they'd literally move in with the people and just teach them the Word and build them up and pray with them, and they would get those people healed because God has already done His part. There's a huge difference between us healing the sick and praying for the sick. And as a whole, see, the church has believed that God can do it, but they don't believe that He has done it. They don't believe that He's already committed that power to us, and they are coming to God when they have a need, like, say, for instance, in the physical realm, and they're asking God to heal this person, when the truth is God has already done His part to produce that healing. He placed that supernatural raising from the dead power on the inside of every born-again believer, and it's up to us to command those healings to come to pass. Instead of being a beggar, a person that comes and pleads passively with the Lord and asks God to do it, we need to become a commander that stands there and takes our authority and commands the power of God. That's exactly what Peter did. Such as I have, give I unto thee in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And they grabbed him by the hand and lifted him up, and immediately he went walking and leaping and praising God. Most people would say, well, I'd never do that. And that's the reason you don't get the results that Peter and John got. This is one of the major reasons today that we aren't seeing the power of God. Many Christians, I can guarantee you there's people that you're in need of a physical miracle. I mean, it's critical. You're in need of a financial miracle, a miracle of restoration in your marriage or whatever. And you are praying and asking God, but you aren't taking any authority over the enemy. You aren't speaking against the problem. You aren't commanding sickness to leave. And yet that's exactly what the Bible says. See, religion has come along and taught us that you can do nothing. That you are a worm. That you are nothing. And you know what? If you are talking about apart from the born again me, if you're just talking about in my carnal self, my natural self, that actually is true. I don't have a complaint with that. Without Christ, the Bible says in John 15, 3, this was Jesus speaking, or excuse me, I'm not sure it's verse 3, but it's John 15 right there, the very first few verses. It says, without me, you can do nothing. And I believe that that's absolutely true. Without Jesus, we are nothing. And so I agree with that. But what I disagree with is I am not without Jesus. I am born again. I have the spirit of the living God living on the inside of me. I am not only human. A person who just stops there and doesn't go beyond that to recognize that in Christ you become a new person, they aren't taking their authority. They don't understand the authority of the believer. They are coming to God as if, God, I'm an old sinner saved by grace. 
I'm not an old sinner saved by grace. I was an old sinner, but I got saved by grace, and now I have become the righteousness of God. And it's true. Without God, I am nothing, but I am not without God. God lives on the inside of me, and now I have the authority and the power to command the power of God. Now, I'm going to put this into some balance. Our next teaching we'll do on this is that authority only enforces spiritual law. If God hadn't already provided it, I can't just command it. It's not me making God do things. Let me use a passage of Scripture to try and help explain this over in Isaiah chapter 45 and uh, verse 11. You might want to get your own Bible and read this. You're liable not to believe this is in the Bible, but it is. I'm breaking right into the middle of a thought here, but let me just read Isaiah 45:11. says, Thus saith the Lord, the Holy One of Israel and His Maker, ask me of things to come concerning my sons, and concerning the work of my hands, command ye me. Now that is a strong statement, and some people just, you know, they choke on this. They say, I just can't receive this. Because what they think is that you're talking about, you're, you're, re, you're taking authority over God. You're telling God, God, you have to obey me. I command you to do this. Well, certainly that's ridiculous, and that's not what I'm talking about. I am not God. I am not superior to God. It is not me that's the power source. God isn't waiting on my every whim and obeying what I tell him to do. That's not what I'm talking about. But yet the Lord said here, concerning the works of my hands, command ye me. What does that mean? Well, the way that I explain this is to use this uh, comparison of electricity. You know, when you have electricity piped into your house or into your building, wherever you are, the power company is the source. They generate that power. You aren't the power source. You could take a light bulb and stick it in your mouth and it'll never come on. You aren't the power source, amen. It is not you that's providing the power, but nonetheless, the power company generates that power. They deliver it to your home. You sign a contract and that power is under your command. And if you want the power to come on, you don't call the power company and ask them to come out and turn on the power. No, they generate it. They deliver it to you. And now it's up to you to command that power. You, when you go over and flip that switch, you are commanding that power. You are taking something that is not your source of power. You aren't the source, but it is under your control, your authority, and you use that authority, that command, and you switch it on. Now, if the power company doesn't generate it, you could flip that switch all of the time, but if there's no power there, nothing's going to happen. A person who is, say, for instance, not born again, if you were listening to what I was saying and you went out and started trying to speak to sickness and disease and to demons and command them to leave, nothing's going to happen because you don't have the power of God on the inside of you. The 19th chapter of the book of Acts has an instance where some lost people saw Paul casting out demons. And so they tried to do it. And the man who was demon-possessed, those demons rose up on the inside of him and he beat up those seven men and sent them away bleeding. I guarantee you, if you don't aren't connected to the power source, if you aren't truly born again, you can't do what I'm talking about. But if you are truly born again, if you have received the power of the Holy Spirit, according to Acts chapter 1, verse 8, then that power is in you, and it's up to you to command it. And I can promise you that if you had somebody coming over for lunch, and you called up the power company, 
and said, please, I've got people coming. Would you please turn on the power? I need this power to cook the food. We've got to have lights and all these kind of things. It doesn't matter how much you plead. It doesn't matter how serious your need is. The power company is not going to send somebody out to flip the switch for you. They generate the power. You take your position of authority and you flip the switch. It's the same thing. Christians today, instead of going and believing the word that says you have power to heal the sick. Now go heal the sick. Instead, they have just violated that. They don't go heal the sick. They go pray and ask God to heal the sick. That's just as silly as asking the electric company to come turn on your lights. You know, a good friend of mine, Dave Duell, who pastors up in uh, Denver, he told a story about one of the very first times he went to Africa and held a meeting there. They uh, saw people healed and great miracles happened. And as a result, these African people, you know, were just overwhelmed. And as he was walking through the city streets, people started running up to him and screaming and yelling and wanting to touch him. And his first reaction was to think, well, you know, it's not me. It's not me. It's God. Don't look to me. And before he could react that way, the Lord just spoke to him and he said, Dave, what would you have thought? if when I rode that little donkey into Jerusalem and they started putting their palm branches in the way and throwing their garments down and they started singing, Hosanna, glory to God in the highest, what would you have thought if that donkey would have said, oh, it's not me, it's not me, it's not me. And he says, he says, it's not you they're trying to touch, they're trying to touch me. You are just the donkey that I ride on. And when Dave saw that, he said he just started walking around and letting people touch him. And you know what? There's some people that really take offense at this, and they think that, well, you're saying that you're somebody special. No, I am nobody special. I really believe that. There is nothing special in me, but I carry the most special person that ever walked the face of the earth. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. He lives on the inside of me. He's given me his power and his anointing. And I'm believing that there's coming a day, just like in the Bible, where Peter's Peter's shadow would touch people and that they would be healed. I'm believing for that. I'm believing that they will lay sick in the streets and that my shadow will fall on them and people will be healed. I know some of you think, well, you arrogant thing. I'm not saying that because of who I am, but because of who I carry. If it worked for the Apostle Peter, it'll work for me. And I know that many of you just can't handle that. That's the reason you don't see the power of God is because all you are is focused on the carnal, physical, natural side of you and you don't recognize that you aren't only human, that you have power and authority. I tell you, there is a religious culture today that is against everything I'm teaching, comes against this authority that tries to make us feel that you're nothing, you have no power, you have no authority. You come to God as a beggar and you beg and plead with God to do what God told you He's already done and He told you to go out and represent Him and to stand and take your authority and command things to come to pass. And our religious system has a counterculture that that isn't popular with and so because of it, Christians are begging and pleading, bawling and squalling, asking God to do things that it's not God's turn to do it. It's our turn to stand up and to take that authority and command it to come to pass. You know, I wrote down just a few scriptures here. Let me just read some of these to you. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 8, it says, Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples as he commissioned them and sent them out. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out devils. Freely you have received, freely give. 
You know what? You can't give away something you don't have. If you don't believe that God has already done His part and put that raising from the dead power on the inside of you, then you can't go out and heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead. Oh, I wish I could make you believe these things. I'm fighting against hundreds of years of religious traditions that have made the Word of God of none effect. But I'm telling you the truth is, God has already healed every person that will ever be healed. That power has already been generated and it is now deposited on the inside of every born-again, spirit-filled, tongue-talking believer. You have that power. And it is not up to God to heal the sick. It is up to us to believe and through faith take our authority and release that power and command these things to happen. We have to give this healing power to people. One of the things that I have really, really enjoyed in our Gospel Truth seminars is that in the past, when I went into churches, I would minister, I would build people's faith, and then I would pray with people. And this is no exaggeration. I would pray with people till 12 o'clock, 1 o'clock on a regular basis. I've had people come to me by the hundreds, and I would pray for them for three and four hours and see blind eyes open, deaf ears open, and miracles happen like that. And I was excited about that, but at the same time, it would just wear you out. And I knew I was limited. And I would see people lined up and know that I wouldn't be able to make it to the end of the line. People couldn't wait that long. And I would see people leave because I just couldn't minister to them. And then as we started going into these larger venues and we started having, instead of two or three hundred, we started having five hundred or a thousand people come to my meetings you know what? There was just no way that I could minister to this. So the Lord told me to take our Bible college students, graduates, alumni, and we have been teaching people these truths, telling them that you have the power on the inside of you. You can command healings to come to pass. And one of the greatest things that I am enjoying about this is that now instead of me praying for 100 people or 150 through these students, we are now praying for three, four, five hundred people per night. We are seeing blind eyes open, deaf ears open, people come out of wheelchairs. And it just thrills me that it is not only a supernatural gift flowing in one individual that everything has to funnel through them, but this is for Joe Blow Believer. You can take the... Matter of fact, I remember in Kansas City, we had a man who had never prayed for another person, had never seen a physical miracle happen in his life. The very first night, he began to pray with people. One of the persons, I forget now whether it was deafness or blindness, but something I mean that, you know, it's not like a headache that a person could just say, oh, it's better. This is... It either worked or it didn't work. This man who had never prayed for another person before prayed and saw these blind eyes open, deaf ears open, and they were just so over the moon that they didn't sleep all night long. They were so excited they came back the next day telling us about it. And it's because, see, I'm not against people that have a supernatural gift. That's a separate teaching. I'm not going to get into that. There is a place for that in the body. But some people have thought that you have to have one of these healing miracle ministries to be able to pray for people. But no, it's not so. Every born-again, spirit-filled believer has been given power and authority to heal the sick, cleanse the leper, and raise the dead, is what it says right here in Matthew chapter 10, verse 8. And He commands us to give that to other people. He said, when you enter into a city, He says, he, this is Luke chapter 10, verse 9, when you enter into a city, heal the sick that are therein, and say unto them, the kingdom of God has come nigh unto you. 
Uh, it's amazing. The church has just chosen to ignore the first part of that. And what we do is say we've got a responsibility to go in and preach the gospel unto people. But you know what? The Lord told us to go heal the sick and preach the gospel. The Word of God needs to be confirmed with signs and wonders and miracles. And the church desires that. Some of the Pentecostal spirit-filled side of the church desires to see miracles, but the way they're going about it is to beg and plead with God and ask God to pour out His Spirit and, oh God, do a new thing and send revival. That's not the approach that the, the, the people in the Bible took. They believed that God gave them the authority. They went out and they brought revival. They commanded revival. They released revival by seeing miracles happen. Here's another passage of Scripture goes along with this is over in Acts chapter 4. And after the disciples had been beaten and commanded not to preach the gospel anymore, they went back to their group. They all began to pray in Acts chapter 4 in verse 23. Acts chapter 4 verse 23. Being let go, they went to their own company and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said unto them. And when they heard that, they lifted up their voices to God with one accord and said, Lord, Thou art God which has made heaven and earth and the sea and all that in them is, who by the mouth of thy servants David has said, Why did the heathen rage and the people imagine vain things? The kings of the earth stood up and the rulers took counsel together against the Lord and against his Christ. For of a truth against thy holy child Jesus, whom thou hast anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together. For to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings, and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word by stretching forth thy hand to heal, and that signs and wonders may be done by the name of thy holy child Jesus. Notice how they prayed. God, help us to preach the word. How? By stretching forth your hand to heal. This is the way that the early New Testament church preached the gospel. It wasn't just doctrine. It was in demonstration and power of the Spirit. They said, God, help us to preach your word by healing people and seeing the power of God manifest. That's the way they went out. And that's the reason that they had a better results than what most people are getting today. You know, there ought to be a difference between what you preach and what a Jehovah Witness preaches. Because a Jehovah Witness isn't truly born again. They aren't accepting Jesus as the only begotten Son of God, the only way unto the Father. They aren't born again. And yet many Christians, when they go out and knock on a door, it's no different than a Jehovah Witness or a Mormon. All they got is a doctrine. The thing that should separate a true Christian is a person who not only has a proper doctrine about who Jesus is, but can demonstrate it by power and gifts of the Holy Spirit. And the reason that isn't happening more is because we are praying and asking God to do what He commanded us to do. The Lord told us in, uh, well, there's a number of these different scriptures, but Luke chapter 10, verse 9 says, When you go into a city, heal the sick that are therein, and say unto them, The kingdom of God has come nigh unto you. The Lord told us to go heal the sick. He didn't tell us to pray and ask Him to heal the sick. He told us to heal the sick. I am not saying that I am the power source, but God is the power source, but He has placed that source on the inside of me and He gave me authority to use His name and to use His power. And if I don't command healing to come, it won't happen. It is not going to come by you begging and asking God to heal. Let me just say this. I can't pass this up. That I know that there's people <clears throat> that you have an incurable disease 
You've been praying and asking God to heal. Or maybe you have a friend, somebody you're praying for in that situation. And you've been praying and trying to lay hold of God and ask God for healing. And you haven't seen the manifestation and you're fighting frustration and fear and doubt. And you know the problem is that you are asking God to do what He asked you to do. God told you to go heal the sick. God told you to take your authority. Like Peter and John, you say, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, give I unto thee. And then you grab them and you command that healing to manifest. You know, a good friend of mine, Cecil Paxton, who ministers with me in our Gospel Truth Seminars, many of you might know him, but there's a mutual friend. I won't go into all this story, but he had... uh, um, I forgot exactly what happened. He had a stroke, I think it was. And anyway, he went blind. And this guy is a guy that I've ministered to. We've seen some great things happen. And we've been praying and we've been believing that, you know, the Lord is going to make the right connection here so that he can receive his sight back. But Cecil, just this last weekend, went over to this guy's house, had some business to do with him. And the guy was totally blind and he prayed for him, and he just took authority and commanded those eyes to open, and boom, like that. Totally blind eyes came open, and he could see perfectly. And I tell you, it's because you take your authority, and you command these things to come to pass. That's the reason that some of you aren't receiving from God, is because you are asking God to do what He commanded you to do. Let me take another example. You know, the Bible says in Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9, I believe it is, It says, God is not slack concerning His uh, promises. Let me see. I think I have this written out here. The Lord is not slack concerning His promises. Some man counts slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Now, this verse makes it very clear that it is God's will that not a single person die and go to hell, but that all get saved. Now, do all get saved? No, obviously not. Even Jesus said that there's going to be more entered by the broad gate unto destruction than by the narrow gate unto everlasting life. So God's will does not automatically come to pass. See, this is another big hindrance. And let me just say some things. I, You know, I'm. it seems like I am getting to where I just constantly am saying things that get me in trouble, but it's because there's so much junk being taught by the church today and it misrepresents God. But the church today is really teaching that God sovereignly controls everything and that nothing happens without God's approval, either His direct approval or indirect approval. He either causes it or allows it. And that is not what the Word of God teaches. And I believe that the reason that that is so popular and that people latch on to that type of doctrine is because it gives them an excuse. It takes away all responsibility from us. In other words, you can just pray and, Lord, if it's your will, heal this person. Lord, if it's your will, save this marriage. And then if it works, great. And if it doesn't, well, it must not have been God's will. It takes us totally out of the picture. We have no responsibility, no accountability in the the matter. I believe that that's absolutely wrong. And you can see that in this area of salvation. I believe clearly because it is not God's will that any person perish. That's exactly what 2 Peter 3, 9 says. And yet, 
It's not coming to pass. God doesn't control or just allow these things. God isn't the one that predestines some people to be saved and some people to be lost. No, there's a number of reasons. Number one, the person has a choice. God's not going to force anybody to be saved. He honors our free will. And there are some people that because of the lies and the deception of the devil, they've been hurt. They have taken an offense. They are preoccupied with the cares of this life and other things. And because of it, they have just rejected all of the pleadings and the intervention of God in their life. And so by their own free will, they are choosing not to make Jesus their Lord. And then there are the other things you can't violate You can't just go in and make a person get saved on your faith. That's not what the Word of God teaches. They have a choice in the matter. Sometimes we're misrepresenting it is what the problem is. We aren't telling people the truth. And many people are led into false religions. There's people that are into all of the different religions of the world. Some of them are teaching killing people for a holy jihad. And that that is their doctrine. And they believe that this grants them entrance into heaven with uh, a harem of women uh, throughout all eternity. That is absolute foolishness. It is absolutely wrong. It violates the truth of the Word of God. And yet there are people that are being told that and because of it are doing suicide bombings and other things. And you know what? False doctrine is sending people to hell. There are reasons why, but God doesn't desire any of this, and yet it's happening. Why? Because God gave authority, which gave us responsibility. It's up to us to preach the gospel and to see people born again. And if they aren't being born again, it's not God who hasn't provided their salvation. It's not God who's not wanting them to be saved. It is basically comes down some way or the other to people who haven't taken their authority and used it properly. They aren't preaching the true gospel or maybe people who've gone out and abused the truth and lied and they have presented such a negative witness that people have rejected it out of hand and didn't really listen to the true claims of Christianity. But some way or another, it's men that are messing things up. Satan is inspiring it. Satan is trying to prejudice people and cause them to have an offense. But it is not God's will that any person die and go to hell. And yet it's happening. And see, that same logic applies to healing, prosperity, Uh, marriages and other things. People will say, well, if it's God's will, they'll be healed whether you or I pray for them or not. Well, that's the same. You apply that same logic to salvation. If it's God's will, people will be saved and if whether you or I minister to them or not. That is not true. We have a responsibility. We've been given power and authority to preach the gospel. That's what I'm doing. I'm sharing the Word of God. I'm going out. And you know, there are millions of people being touched by this television and radio ministry. There are people that are hearing the Word of God and their lives are being changed. People are being born again, baptized in the Holy Ghost, healed, delivered, set free. And it was God's will to set them free all along. But they didn't hear the truth. And somebody's got to come across their path. As it says in Romans chapter 10, how can they believe on Him in whom they have not heard? How can they hear except somebody preach? How can they preach except they be sent? So then, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. It is not God's will for people to perish, but He uses people to get His Word out and to cause these things to change. We have authority to preach the gospel and a responsibility. If we don't take that responsibility and use that authority, then it is not God's will that this nation, that this world be in the mess that it's in, 
His will is for us to all reflect His values and to be submitted unto Him and to have a glorious church. But it's not working that way because people aren't responding to Him properly. The number one thing that's happening, people are begging and asking God to do what He told us to do. We're asking God to send revival and save people instead of us getting out and preaching the gospel or with signs and wonders to take what Jesus has already provided and to make it manifest. It's His power, but it's our authority that He gave us that makes it work. Power is released through authority. And we've been talking about forgiveness of sin, salvation. Look at this passage of Scripture in Acts chapter 1. In verse 6 it says, When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time again restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power. You know, this is a simple thing here, but it's amazing. I remember in 1988, this guy who wrote a book about 88 reasons why the Lord would return in 88. And I talked to some people who honestly believed with all of their heart that that was true and that they were counting on the Lord coming back in 1988. Of course, it didn't happen. And then he wrote a book, 89 Reasons Why the Lord Will Return in 89. And people bought that book. I mean, how dumb can you get and still breathe? It's just amazing. A guy totally misses it, and then there's people that just come out and swallow the next thing he has to say. This is saying that you can't know the time or the season that God is coming back and establishing His kingdom. It just makes it very clear. And if somebody tells you that they know, and they're predicting a date or something like that, just write Ichabod across their forehead. That's the Old Testament terminology for the glory has departed. Man, I guarantee you, they are just in deception. It is not God. In verse 8, here he said, after he says, you don't have power and authority over these kind of things. You can't know this. This hasn't been placed in your power. Then in verse 8, he says, but you shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. The Lord there told us, these are His disciples, He says, you have power to be a witness. Now I want you to think about this. When the Lord gave us power, with that power, the Lord would never give you a position without giving you the uh, authority to execute and accomplish the things that He told you to do. So with this power to be a witness comes a re- authority to witness and a responsibility goes with it. And here's an example of that. In the 10th chapter of Acts, it says in verse 1, there was a certain man in Caesarea named Cornelius, a centurion of the band called the Italian band, a devout man and one that feared God with all his house, which gave much alms to the people and prayed to God always. He saw in a vision, evidently about the ninth hour of the day, an angel of God coming into him and saying unto him, Cornelius, And when he looked on him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? And he said unto him, Thy prayers and thine alms are come up for a memorial before God. And now send man to Joppa and call one Simon, whose surname is Peter. He lodgeth with one Simon a tanner, whose house is by the seaside. He shall tell thee what thou oughtest to do. Now this is amazing. Here's an angel appearing to Cornelius and saying, Cornelius... You're a godly man. You're a devout man. God has heard your prayers. Now send to Joppa and ask for Peter and he will come and tell you how to be born again. 
Don't you think that this angel knew how to be born again? Why didn't the angel tell Cornelius? Wouldn't it have been more efficient? Wouldn't it have been, uh, you know, a lot easier for the angel just to tell instead of send men for two days' journey and then bring Peter back two days' journey and all of this? Why did God have this angel appear to Cornelius and ask him to go get Peter? Why didn't the angel just tell him how to be born again? You know why? Because it all goes back to this authority issue. God gave power and authority to people to preach the gospel, not to angels. Angels do not have power to preach the gospel. We were the ones that God gave power and authority to. And going back to some things I've already taught in this series, God doesn't violate His Word. God is a man of integrity. When God says something, it is binding on Him. And when He says, I give you power, I give you authority, if we don't use it, God is not going to circumvent that. God is not going to violate His own Word. He has limited Himself to preaching the gospel through people. And let me just be real candid and say some things here. I believe Satan has crept into the church. This is not unusual. The Bible teaches that, you know, Satan will sow tares among the wheat that uh, Paul said in the 20th chapter of the book of Acts, I know after I leave that there will be grievous wolves come in. Even some of your own selves will not spare the flock, but you will make merchandise of them for your own uh, selfish gain, etc. And so this has been something that's been going on in the church ever since God established it. But I tell you, Satan has put forward a doctrine in the church where instead of us preaching the gospel, telling people the truth, and letting them be born again through the incorruptible seed of God's Word, Satan has told that we can just pray people into the kingdom. There are people praying and asking God to save people, and they never share the gospel with them. I've literally met people before that they are prayer warriors, and they won't get out of their closet. They have a prayer list that is so long that they can't even read it all in an hour. They go through this thing. They're praying for everybody, but they wouldn't witness to a neighbor. They don't talk to the people at the grocery store. They don't talk to their mailman. They don't share the word with anybody, but, oh, they're praying for a great move of God. That's deception, and that is not the way it happens. You cannot pray a person into the kingdom of God. The Bible says over in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23, that we are born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible seed by the Word of God that lives and abides forever. You have to be born again by the incorruptible seed of God's Word. It's using this terminology like planting a seed in the ground or sowing a seed in the womb of a woman. You cannot conceive a child apart from this seed being sown. There is only one virgin birth. There's not going to be another. You have to get out and sow the seed of God's Word. And that scripture I've already used, Romans 10:17 says, So then, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. You can't be born again without faith. And that faith comes through the seed of God's Word. You know, if a woman came to me and, and asked for prayer, to get pregnant, and she wasn't married. I'm not about to pray with her because that's not how it happens. You don't get pregnant through prayer. You can get, you can get healed through prayer, which may affect you being able to get pregnant, but you do not get pregnant through prayer. I've prayed with thousands of people before who were unable to have children, couples, and I've seen hundreds of them be able to conceive supernaturally 
And uh, I could give you some great, great stories about that. But I remember one time that a woman came forward and asked me to pray that she'd get pregnant. And right before I put my hands on her, I just felt impressed to ask her. I said, are you married? And she says, no, I'm not. Man, I took my hands off real quick. I wasn't going to have anything to do with this lady getting pregnant if she's not married. See, that's not God's will. That's not the way that it happens. You have to plant that seed, and it's the same thing. People are praying for people to be born again, but nobody's praying about them planting the seed. Nobody's praying about somebody coming across their path and preaching the gospel to them and the Holy Spirit bringing back to their remembrance the things that have been spoken. They are just thinking that you can pray a person into the kingdom. See, that violates this power and authority that God gave us. God told us to go preach the gospel. In this 10th chapter of the book of Acts, Cornelius did not have the angel tell him how to get saved. Instead, he had to send for a physical human being to come preach the gospel to him because God gave power to people, not to angels, to preach the gospel. Man, if you understood this, it just makes the kingdom work. I know that there are some of you that have been praying for people for umpteen years and you're frustrated wondering why isn't God saving this person? It's because you aren't praying right. You are asking God to save them as if there was something that God could just do to save them. He's already done His part. And God has presented us with the authority and the responsibility of preaching the gospel. And if that person isn't being saved, it's either because they aren't hearing the true gospel or they have a choice to reject. And it's not God who's not saving that individual. There are things that you could do that would speed it up and that would make the ministry of the Holy Spirit to this person much better. But praying and asking God to save them is, man, I hate to say this, but I'm, I'm just trying to get my point across. But it's useless. It is useless for you to just pray and ask God to save a person. That is not the way that the Word teaches us to do it. And I know that many of you are offended, feeling like I'm saying that God is limited in power. I'm saying that God has limited Himself. He told us to preach the gospel. He said that they are born again by the incorruptible seed, the Word of God. And if we don't follow His instructions, and if we just choose to say, well, God, I'm not going to talk to Him. I don't want to get out there, and I don't want to suffer any embarrassment or shame or persecution that might come by me speaking the Word. I'm just going to pray in my closet, and I believe that you're going to do a miracle. You're spitting in the wind. It's just not going to work. That's not how the kingdom operates. I'm telling you the truth. If we ask God to save people and save our loved ones, but if we don't do what He commanded us to do, which is to preach the gospel and be a witness, then it's not going to happen. People have to be born again through the Word of God. Prayer does not cause people to be born again. Prayer may help once you've already shared the gospel, but prayer is not a substitute for doing what God told us to do. People don't get born again through prayer. They get born again through hearing the truth. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And it has been a deception of the devil to get people to just pray and ask God to do what he commanded us to do. He commanded us to preach the gospel. Cornelius had an angel appear unto him in response to his prayers, but the angel didn't preach the gospel to him. Instead, he sent men to Joppa and got Simon Peter to come and preach the gospel to Cornelius because angels don't have the authority to preach the gospel. God didn't commit that to their authority. We have a responsibility. 
You know, I pray. I spend a lot of time just fellowshipping with the Lord. The vast majority of my prayer life is all about just worshiping God, thanking God, asking God for wisdom and instruction. And as far as my ministry to you, what I pray for is that God would help me to speak with clarity, that He would help me to speak with boldness, as we just read that passage in Acts chapter 4 where the uh, disciples prayed that. I pray that God would give me revelation knowledge and that I would have a better way of saying it. And I pray for things like that. But you know what? I do not spend any time asking God to move and save these people and, oh God, please touch their hearts. You know why? Because I believe that God loves you more than I love you. I believe that God already wants to touch people's lives. I do not have to plead with God to please love people, please move in their life, which is the typical way that most Christians do it. I take for granted that God loves you more than I do. And God is the one who led me to come on television and radio and share His Word because it's through these truths that people get set free. You shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. And so I know that God already loves you. God's already wanting to minister to you. I don't spend any time pleading with God to please love people, please touch them, please move in their life. I know that what I'm saying is just different than the way most people do it. But you know what? Most people aren't getting any very very good results with their prayer. You ought to try something different. I'm telling you, this is working. When I first started in the ministry, I used to plead with God. I used to pray for revival and beg and plead. I started all-night prayer meetings where we just pled with God for revival and begged and cried and wailed and travailed just like many of you do. But you know what? Finally, one day I actually caught myself doing this. I had divided the city of Arlington, Texas, where I lived, up into sections, and I was praying over these sections and begging God to move, and, oh, God, please touch these people, and, oh, God, we've got to have a move, and I was giving him all of the statistics to impress on him how important this was and that this you really need to do something. I was trying to manipulate, motivate, move God and do all of these things. And I actually had these words come out of my mouth. I said, God, if you love the people in Arlington, Texas, half as much as I do, we would have revival. <laughs> and you know what? As soon as I said that, I figured, oh, this something's wrong with this prayer. I am presenting that, you know what? I'm the one who loves them, and I'm begging, pleading with God, trying to get Him to pour out His love on these people. And you know what? My lightning fast mind figured out I was making some serious mistakes. And this is exactly what the church is still doing the church is begging, oh God, send revival. Oh God, if you wanted to, you could pour out your spirit on America and things could change. That's not true. You know what? How God, you know how God moves in this earth? Through His people. He moves through us and He moves through us preaching the gospel, preaching the truth. And I tell you, Satan, I believe, is the one that's behind some of the movements in the body of Christ today that is getting us into doing everything except preaching the gospel. You know, I believe in political action. I really do. I vote. I take it seriously. I try and influence other people. I don't do it real overtly on television and radio because, you know, of the uh, problems that the government sees with me using a tax-exempt status for political purposes. But in my private life, I have an opinion, and I share it with people, and I do things like that. I believe in being political. I believe that we've got an opportunity, and so I take advantage of it. 
But you know what? I really do believe that it's a deception of the devil to try and get people to put all of their energies, especially Christians, into the political process because the political process is not the strength of the church. The early founding fathers of the United States, I remember James Madison one time. I believe it was James Madison, but he's, it might have been uh, anyway. It was one of those early founding fathers said that the uh, democracy is totally unsuited for anybody but a moral per, uh, people. If we ever cease to be moral, democracy will destroy this nation. And you know what? That's literally what's happening. We are legalizing homosexual marriages. We are making statements and doing things that you can get into the political process and try and pass a Constitution amendment and do this and all of those things. And I'm saying do what, what there is to do. But the real strength of the church is preaching the gospel and changing the hearts of men. And if people's hearts get changed, then the uh, political uh, arena will reflect it. You know why that uh, laws are being passed now promoting immorality and things like this? Because the church hasn't done its job. We haven't been preaching the truth. We've lost the hearts of people, and those hearts are passing laws and things using the political process. If we would get back and see people's lives changed, I guarantee you the church would do more to change the nation that they live in by preaching the gospel and telling the truth than they would by political process, by praying and begging God for revival. God told us to go out and preach the gospel. People will know the truth, and the truth will set them free. And that's where our strength lies. And I believe Satan is the one that is behind many of these things even good things, things that in their place are okay. But when you take something that is a, you know, just an option, something that every person should do as a political, uh, you know, an option, a responsibility, those things are good in their place. But when you put that up here and that becomes the driving force and Christians are trying to mobilize and take control of the government and do this, that's not the way that God told us to influence the nation. It is through our preaching of the gospel. It is through the truth. I tell you what, I am doing more on television and on radio, speaking the truth and telling people the truth. I am doing more to affect the political process than I ever would by getting out and picketing an abortion clinic. Now, I'm not saying that all that stuff's wrong. I'm saying in its place, there is a place for everything. But the power, the number one power in the church is the gospel. And we have been compromising that because people don't understand these laws that we're talking about. God gave us power and authority to preach the gospel. And that's how he changes people's hearts. And instead of us preaching the gospel and speaking these truths and boldly proclaiming them, instead we've retreated to our prayer closets and we're just praying and we're afraid to say anything lest somebody say that we're politically incorrect. You know, I get a lot of criticism off of television and off of radio. I'm just pretty plain spoken. I'm not trying to be mean to anybody, but I just don't want anybody to misunderstand me. And so you know what? I'm pretty blunt, and I get a lot of criticism. People think I'm uh, of the devil. I've received letters and threats and different things. And you know what? There's a lot of people that are just afraid to tell the truth because it's gonna, somebody's going to criticize them for it. And so what they do is retreat and begin to pray and ask God to do what He told us to do. God told us to preach the gospel. He chose through the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. You cannot be born again 
without hearing the Word of God. And I tell you, there are a lot of Christians today who aren't emphasizing the Word of God. They aren't speaking the truth. They don't tell a person the truth. Instead, they just smile and shake their head and agree with ungodliness and then go into their prayer closet and say, Oh, God, convict them. How's He going to convict them? Without the truth. you got to preach the truth. You know, let me just share with you how to pray for a lost person. I know that some people are going to take what I've said and say that, so you're against prayer. You don't believe that prayer is effective. No, I believe prayer is super effective, but prayer is useless to substitute for something that God told us to do. There is a right use of prayer. Prayer is like water. Once you plant a seed, then it's got to be watered, and then it's got to be fertilized, and you'll get a much greater crop if you water it and fertilize than if you let it just die you know, because uh, it's, it doesn't have enough moisture and nutrients and things like that. Prayer is effective, but prayer isn't a substitute for planting the seed. You can water barren ground, and barren ground will never produce if there's no seeds in it. You've got to plant the seed. The Word of God is how people are born again. You've got to have the Word come. It's the truth that sets people free. But once the Word has been sown, yes, prayer is effective. There is a right use of prayer. But I believe that it's being misused by the church today. It's being substituted for doing what God told us to do. Here's the right way to pray. Let me just give you some scriptures. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, it says, The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some man count slackness, but is longsuffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So as you begin to start praying for a person, first of all, quit begging God to love these people and, oh God, please save this person. Like, God, I love them. I know you don't care for them as much as I do, but, oh God, could you please intervene in this person's life? You need to recognize God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. God loves the person who is lost infinitely more than you do. You do not have to beg and plead and motivate God to save this person. That, is, that should even be out of the equation. So you could start with this verse and just start thanking Him. Father, I thank You that it is not Your will that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And start thanking Him. And God, thank You that You've already provided. 1 John chapter 2, verse 2. Let me read this passage to you. It says... And He, speaking of Jesus, is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. God not only loves the whole world, but He has already died for the sins of the whole world. He's already paid for them. A person who goes to hell is going to go to hell with their sins paid for. The reason they will go to hell is because they rejected the payment. You can only accept that through Jesus, through making Jesus the Lord of your life. And so the sin that is going to send people to hell is not their adultery, their dipping, cussing, chewing, all these kind of things, but it's the rejection of Jesus that's going to send people to hell. Their sins were already paid for, and it's just a matter of will you accept it? Will you make Jesus your Lord and receive this forgiveness? Or are you going to try some other way to be accepting to God? Or just totally ignore it and reject it and go your own way? So God loves these people. He's already paid for their sins. You don't have to plead with God. You don't have to ask God to do something. What else can God do to save them that He hasn't done? He's already sent Jesus. He's already died for their sins. There is nothing left for God to do to save the person you're praying for. I know I'm just shocking some of you, but you need to be shocked. This is just wrong praying.
Don't beg God to love people and to save them as if He doesn't care for them as much as you do. Start by praising Him. Father, thank You that it's not Your will that any perish, but that all come to repentance. Thank You that You've already made provision. You are already the propitiation. That means the atoning sacrifice for everyone's sins, not only those that believe, but those are also that are lost. So, Father, I thank You that You've already, You want them to be saved. You've already provided it. Now, I stand here as an intercessor. Now, this is where you start doing your part. You take your authority and you start speaking the things that need to happen. See, God has to flow through a person. So you start praying and you say things like, Father, the Word says, Romans 10, 17, how can they believe except they preach and all of this? So then faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. So therefore, Father, I'm praying the Word of God will come across their path. Matthew chapter 9, verse 38 says, Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that He would send forth laborers into His harvest. Again, see, this is centering around the Word. They've got to hear the Word of God. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23 says, Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible seed by the Word of God that lives and abides forever. The Word has to come across this person's path. So you pray Matthew 9, 38. Father, here I stand as an intercessor and I'm praying laborers across their path. I'm believing that right now somebody is coming to them. If they're in a bar, let a preacher walk into the bar and go to proclaiming the gospel to them. Let somebody speak the word. Father, send radio, television signals across their path. Send workers that are going to sit next to them at their job that will start telling them about the word of God and tell them about your great love for them. Pray that the word that they've already heard will come back to their remembrance. John 14, 26 talks about the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost. When He has come, He will teach you all things, lead you into all truth, and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I've spoken unto you. So pray that the words that they learned when they were a kid in Sunday school will come back to their remembrance. You've got to get the word to them and offer yourself as a vessel. I tell you, I believe that it's very ineffective for you to pray, oh God, send labors across their path, bring back to their remembrance, do all of this if you are the one sitting next to them and have opportunity to tell them the truth, then you ought to share it. Now, I do admit that there are some instances where a person, because of whatever reason, has just totally cut you off, or maybe it's distance, or, you know, there could be other things that you aren't able to, to speak directly to this person. So there are some instances where that's true and you have to pray for laborers and the Word to come back to their remembrance. And that's appropriate if you can't do it. But if you can speak to them... You know, if I was praying for a person to be saved and praying that God would bring the Word to them and then as I was praying, the Lord said, you go talk to them. I'd stop my prayer right there and I'd go talk to that person. I'd call them on the phone. I would act on it right then and I wouldn't pray about it anymore until I'd done as God instructed me to do. So you pray that the Word will come back to their remembrance and do all of these kind of things. Then 2 Corinthians chapter 4, in verse 4 it says, "...in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them." This says that Satan, a demonic power, is operating in people who believe not to blind them to the truth so that the light of the gospel won't shine unto them. So you know what? You take your authority and instead of, oh God, please save them and begging God, 
believe that God wants to save him. He just needs somebody in a physical body to stand and release his power and take your authority and command Satan and say, I command this blindness to be gone in the name of Jesus. I command this hardened heart to be gone in Jesus' name. Now, remember this thought. Remember where I am right here. And here's a little parenthesis. Here's a, a, a little bit of further explanation. Because you are interceding for another person and the number one determining factor in them is their own free will, you don't just pray this prayer one time because you believe that when you pray and blind, break this blindness and hardness of heart, that it works and that God opens up their heart and all of a sudden this deception is gone and the word is coming unto them and they're remembering scripture and people are coming across their path. But if that person isn't ready to repent and receive, they will reject this conviction and drawing of the Holy Spirit and their own free will has more power and authority over them than you do. So even though you pray this and you know that it's working, they have the right to reject it. And so if they reject it, then you have to pray that prayer again. It's not that you've prayed one of those prayers in unbelief. You believe that your prayer answered. The person just hasn't responded yet. So you pray it over and you let God minister to them, break that blindness, and hopefully at the number of times that they are hit with the gospel, it'll eventually penetrate. It'll begin to soak in on them. And so you pray that kind of prayer over and over and over again because the person is constantly voiding your prayer over and over and over again by hardening their heart. So you just keep praying it. You can also pray John 20, 23 that says, Whosoever sins you remit, they are remitted unto them. And whosoever sins you retain, they are retained. I had not got time to go into all of this, but this doesn't mean you can forgive their sins. There's some people that have taught it that way, but you don't have power to forgive sins. But when, say, a, a person with cancer or something is, is symptom-free, they will say they're in remission. The word remission doesn't mean that the cancer is gone. It just means that it's not visible. There's no physical signs of it. So when it says that you can remit sins, this doesn't mean you can forgive them or wipe them out. But what you can do is deal with the effects that sin causes in that person. You can rebuke the hardness of heart, the deception, the blindness, and these kind of things. You can remit their sins that will open them to the Lord. And this is the way that you pray for a lost person. You don't beg God to do it. You thank Him that He's already done everything and then you take your authority and pray the Word across their path either in laborers, it coming to their remembrance, things like this. You go speak to them and then you rebuke the blindness, the deception that Satan has put in their heart. You remit their sins. Those are the kind of things that you do. Due to the length of my teaching on with authority comes responsibility, we've actually divided this into two tapes or two CDs. So we have with authority comes responsibility one and two. I've still got a lot more to share on this, but we will move to part two in our next uh, teaching. I believe that this teaching will make a difference in your life.